you're listening to The Dworker Report, and I'm your host, Scott Dworkin. On today's program, I spoke with Fred Guttenberg. He's the Parkland dad who lost his beloved teenage daughter, Jamie, and redirected his entire life towards tireless activism. Fred Guttenberg is one of the most passionate fighters for Americans' rights to live with freedom from random gun violence. In this uncensored 25-minute conversation, Fred explained how his group, Orange Ribbons for Jamie, and other gun reform activist groups with him in the Orange Ribbons movement are the true pro-life political movement in America, reclaiming the term from Republicans and the conservative movement that ended with Trumpism. Interestingly, he revealed that whether you're a Republican or a Democrat in office, the private conversations about gun reform are pretty similar. It's when the messaging gets public, that's when things change. We also asked Fred Guttenberg about his unique perspective on the coronavirus outbreak that has shut down our country under Donald Trump's mismanagement. As someone amongst us who has been touched by tragedy, now driven by his resistance, Fred shared his uniquely personal advice about how to handle our national coronavirus nightmare that everyone needs to hear. On that note, I'd like to share something with you that I'm involved with right now. If you're looking for instructions on how to make a personal face mask or want to get involved sewing masks or distributing them, text MASKS, that's M-A-S-K-S, to 50409. That's MASKS, M-A-S-K-S, to 50409 to download a pattern or to get involved. Please take a listen to my interview with Fred Guttenberg. I'm here with Fred Guttenberg whose road to activism for gun reform now began two years ago with an unthinkable mass tragedy, a school shooting where his beloved daughter, Jamie, was killed. Fred, thank you for joining me in these trying times. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, these are crazy times indeed. I'd like to ask for your perspective as the pandemic of COVID-19 patients sweeps across the United States with minimal federal intervention as someone who has suffered tremendous loss not just from the use of a weapon of war on teenagers at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, but as someone who has survived multiple tragedies. What is your perspective on the coronavirus? A little bit of my perspective, which is different than a lot of other people's. Because of the loss of my daughter two years ago, and even my brother four months before that, who died from cancer related to 9-11, my perspective on what's happening now is, this is horrific. This is scary. A lot of people are going to die. And yet my perspective is if we do what we know we need to do, which is hunker down and stay in place, we'll get through it and we'll be okay. And for most of us, life's going to return back to a normal place. Not necessarily the way we remember it the way before, but We'll get back to living our life. <clears throat> and excuse me, I, this is not coronavirus. I have a, uh, um, a morning asthmatic thing that goes on that eventually wears out. I've had it for years. So, but my, but my hope is that forget what certain elected people are telling everybody to do and to just, Hey, go out and have a grand stay home, stay away from others, hunker down in place for those who, um, like I am, have the fortune of good fortune of knowing people in areas like New York, it is as bad as you hear. And it's going to go in waves across this country. 
So just stay safe. It's easy to do. Stay home. Um, what's happening in New York right now in the hospitals, there is a nightmare um, because of what my brother once did for a living in New York running. He was actually director of emergency medical services for Northwell Hospital Systems, the largest hospital system in the state of New York. Um, I still have a lot of friends in New York who work in the medical community. They are struggling. The hospitals are overwhelmed. They don't have the supplies. And what's frightening is we haven't yet seen the wave of the first responders and healthcare providers who are going to end up with this virus. It's starting. So while they're already short-staffed, that is going to amplify over the next few days because you now have these, there's no way to, no one really yet knows how to stop the spread of this thing. Is it surface? Is it airborne? But you're starting to see those first responders, the doctors, the nurses, the EMTs, the police officers, the firemen, all of a sudden they're getting sick. And that's going to amplify. Um, so we haven't even seen by any measure the worst of it in New York. And it's going to come to a town near you soon. Stay home. Keep yourself safe. The new project that we're launching is Masks Now, as in we're organizing an effort for people to sew masks at home because we don't have it. Listen, it is, and I, I think as a country, we'll have to come to grips with the failure that brought us here because we had warning. We had the opportunity to be ahead of this and specific decisions were made not to do that, to kind of wash our hands of it and assume, hey, it's not going to come here, and to not prepare. Um, I, I thank God right now for these governors who are doing everything they can to protect the citizens of their states. Um, but we had a failure of leadership out of the White House that this country is going to have to come to grips with. Right now is probably not the time to do that. I just hope this White House realizes the failure they had and gets ahead of themselves and does everything they can to help the states. And Governor Cuomo, he had it exactly right yesterday. They are the epicenter right now. Get all this stuff to New York, and then the next hotspot, he'll send it there. You know, um, but we've got to get this plan in place. We've got to start helping people right now. Well, the numbers of people who are going to die is going to be um, something this country has never seen before. And Republicans have already started to pivot from not fighting the virus that causes deadly COVID-19 infections towards telling their followers it's time to die for the economy by ending quarantines against public health experts. Advice. <clears throat> how, how do you see the parallels between Britt Hume's call for grandparents to die for the yeah. economy and the GOP's inflexible promotion of more guns to take more lives? I always, since my daughter died, I've made the argument that I'm actually pro-life. They're not. Um, because I actually fight for the rights to life for those who are living. And while that was an argument that I used to get loads of pushback on, yesterday I put out a, a tweet that said, mark down March 24th, 2020, as the day the Republican Party officially walked away from the right to life message. They officially said 
We want people to die to save the economy. The Republican Party, effective yesterday, can never, ever, ever claim to be a right-to-life party. That belongs to guys like you and me. That belongs to anyone who is fighting for the rights to life of those who are living. What the Republican Party can now claim is they can claim a small slice of saying we are anti-choice, okay, but they're not right to life. That right to life, it belongs to people like us who are fighting for the health and well-being of those walking our streets to keep them free of gun violence, to take care of their health care, to make sure they're getting the supplies they need in this virus. We're right to life. We want to keep others alive, whether we know them or not. So yesterday is the day the Republican Party gave up, walked away from the right to life message. Find out more about Meet the Candidates 2020, my new book series of voter guides authored by Dworkin Report producer Grant Stern. It's the only place you can read my opinion and a factual portrait of each major Democratic candidate in one place. Buy the book now at the link inside this episode's notes at grantstern.com or your local Barnes & Noble. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. If you could wave a magic wand, what three actions would you want the Trump administration to take regarding gun reform right now? Well, being that it's the Trump administration, the first action I would ask him to take is lose um, the NRA's phone number. And, And in doing so, stop using their messaging. Stop referring to people like me as hating the Second Amendment or being gun grabbers because that incites violence. Okay, and it makes it impossible to have a rational conversation over how to solve this problem. So if, if we were talking about someone else, I might have had a different first step. But for this particular administration, it has to be the first step, because every after every gun violence tragedy, they start out saying the right thing until they talk to the NRA and then they go off course. So lose the phone number. That's number one. Number two convene a conversation of those who want to potentially not do as much on this issue with those who want to. Whether you bring in a guy like me or others who are heroic in this effort to talk about this issue, have that conversation. Because to be honest, the only way you're ultimately going to solve this problem is going to be bipartisan has to include all voices. I don't want to just assume I have the answers and I want whatever happens to be lasting. So it should be a bipartisan messaging. Now, the truth is gun violence is not a bipartisan, is not a partisan issue. Bullets don't know if you're Republican or Democrat when they kill you, but the response to it is always partisan, which is unfortunate. So I would certainly say we need to have that conversation But we have to start off with one goal in mind. How do we lower the gun violence death rate? And if we can all agree that we have to lower the gun violence death rate, then I think we can all agree on useful steps to get that done. What I have found is in one-on-one conversations, whether you're Republican or Democrat, there's always a lot more agreement than there is disagreement. When you get to these expanded moments of media messaging, that tends to break down. 
So I, I would certainly want to have that kind of a conversation. What do I want this administration to do maybe as a first step? As a first step, let's get everyone together on steps that we do agree on. Hey, listen, let's do a nationwide extreme risk protection order bill. Let's get background checks done. The idea that this administration can't get in lockstep with 90, I forget the last number, I think it was 91% or 94% of the American people on saying we should know who's buying weapons so that we make sure we keep them out of the hands of those who intend to kill is mind-boggling to me, okay? I think if you convene members of the Republican Party and the Democratic Party in a conversation, you can quickly start off by getting agreement on steps like that. Listen, I didn't say go to the hard stuff first. I know you're not going to get those groups who agree on things like an assault weapons ban, but yet we have to be open to having those conversations. We need to do things and we need to get the other side to come along with us on magazine capacity. You know, and, and, and that's one of those things where you're going to have to have those hard conversations, but we need to do it. The other thing that I firmly believe in, most of the gun safety bills out there right now are forward looking, meaning how do you stop people from buying another new gun? Let's background checks. The problem is we already have 300 million weapons on the streets today that get traded, transferred, stolen, and Who's acquiring weapons in those methods? Somebody who already knows they can't legally walk into a store and buy a weapon. And those are the people most likely to use them in violent ways. Here's the problem. That same person can walk into any store and buy the bullets. And so we must deal with ammunition. Um, The reason why I'm working so hard on, on a law called Jamie's Law, which has been initiated and is named after my daughter, is I want to keep somebody who we already know can't legally buy a gun from walking into the store and buying the ammunition to use that gun. And the only way to do that is to extend background checks to ammunition. And that's what Jamie's law would do. I want to ask you about a pair of high profile incidents that happened in DC earlier this year, you were pleasantly escorted (laughs) out of the state of the union. Can you tell our listeners why you went and what happened to the state of the union? Yeah. So Speaker Pelosi is somebody who's really become a hero to me. And I'm thankful to say we've developed uh, a connection because of what I've gone through. I mean, it's, it's bizarre to think of the people who I've gotten connected to because of what happened to my family. Um, I was once just a stupid, silly dad of two kids and a husband and doing normal stuff. But she's been there for me. And she invited me to be at the State of the Union as her guest. And while there, I sat through a good part of that speech um, and my blood pressure was rising, especially when he did get to a place of talking about violence, but really blaming it on illegals um, and saying, you know, talking about how the way to solve violence is steps to basically round them up and get them out. I mean, he's, he's a pretty disgusting guy. Um, and all I could sit there thinking was my daughter was killed by a teenage American male. Nothing illegal about him except for the fact that, you know, 
wasn't illegal, but it was unfortunate. He was able to buy his weapon as a teenager, an AR-15, um, in spite of known red flags. Because Florida did not have a red flag law at the time. So I was getting really pissed off. And I sat there listening. And eventually he moved on to other topics. My blood pressure came down a bit until he got to that point in the speech where he talked about the Second Amendment. And he ranted and raved that he is going to protect the Second Amendment, which is under attack all over the country. No, it's not. It is not under attack. I'm not attacking the Second Amendment. And he put protection of the Second Amendment over and above protecting my daughter, over and above protecting the other victims of gun violence. And I couldn't contain my anger. And I simply screamed out nine words. What about victims of gun violence like my daughter? That was all I said. It was all I did. In a matter of seconds, the uh, police, Secret Service, were in asking me to leave. I expected to be removed once they came out and asked me to get up from my seat. I was like, okay, I'm going to have to leave the building. What I didn't expect is to be detained, and I was. They immediately put me in cuffs. They were very nice. They, they weren't mean. They weren't rough. They weren't aggressive. But um, I was being told I was going to be detained. I wasn't really sure what law I broke, but I was detained. I was brought to the downstairs garage. And then I was put in this, I guess, a paddy wagon, this horrific mini little jail cell, a metal box, you know, that I couldn't see out of. I had no idea where I was being taken. And it was the scariest few moments of my life. I thought I was going to end up at the bottom of the Potomac somewhere because, let's face it, um, I am an antagonist to this administration. And um, I ended up being brought to a detention facility a few blocks away. I was told I would be there for hours. Um, I investigated, arrested, and I asked if I would need an attorney. They said no. I was handcuffed to a wall um, with one arm. I didn't have a cell phone because my cell phone was back in the speaker's office. Um, And eventually um, one of the police officers was able to retrieve that and bring it to me. So it wasn't. So a couple of hours later, it's the first time I was able to call my wife and my son, which was horrific for them because on February 14th, 2018, we went through hours of not being able to reach my daughter only to find out we weren't going to ever speak to her again. So they were in panic mode. Um, But at, some point after she got done ripping up the speech, um, Speaker Pelosi and Congressman Deutsch got in touch with the Capitol Police and demanded my release. Um, and she sent the sergeant at arms to the detention facility um, to come get me. I was expecting to be there for the night, and all of a sudden, the police officer came in. He said, you're free to go. The sergeant at arms was there waiting for me and brought me back to my hotel. And um, I'll be very thankful to her for the rest of my life. But here's, here's the thing I do want to say about that. I was so upset with myself that night for losing it. Um, one of the things I've prided myself on is my ability to keep my emotions in check while taking on these really obnoxious people and messages Um, and, and never, and not letting my emotions cause me to become the story. 
And I was very, very upset with myself until the next day when this country was talking about gun violence because of that moment. And if not for that moment, that wouldn't have happened. This entire country the next day, and I don't say this, you know, because I want to any accolades, but there was that hashtag, you know, I think stand with Fred or I stand with Fred rather than focusing on the obnoxiousness of that speech. This country was rallying around that moment and they were saying to anyone who would listen, we care about this issue and we care about what he did because it could have been us. It could have been our daughter. It could have been our loved one. So while I was very upset with myself that night, the next day, I could not have been more inspired by what happened in this country. And it's seeing moments like that, that simply are going to ensure I don't stop what I'm doing until we get this done. This episode of the Dworkin Report is brought to you by Resistors Like You. We aim to keep this show independent for as long as we can. Visit DworkinReport.com to see how you can help out. One of the best ways is by hitting that contribute button in the top right and giving what you can. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. And you have a foundation now honoring your daughter. Can you tell us about that? So I, I have actually, um, I call it the Orange Ribbons Movement. Um, Orange Ribbons for Jamie is our foundation that honors things that were important to Jamie in life. So those would be things like, you know, my daughter was a competitive dancer. Um, but my daughter also was someone who donated her personal time to kids with special needs and to kids who were often bullied because, you know, they were the easy targets. Those are the ones who my daughter always stood up for. She hated bullies. Um, and so she was part of a variety of different groups to ensure that she was there for kids like that or kids with special needs. Um, she used to um, volunteer her time for these different workout programs for kids with different disabilities. Um, that's who my daughter was. So we support programs like that. We've also started um, a scholarship program uh, through the foundation. Um, we're giving out 14 scholarships this year. And um, my hope is we'll do that again next year, but we'll be able to raise the dollar amount. And the reason we chose 14 is my daughter was 14 when she died. There's three categories for the scholarship. One is for kids who are going to a traditional four-year education, but they're going to major in something that is geared towards helping others, whether it be occupational therapy, which is what my wife does for a living, or physical therapy, which is what my daughter wanted to do, or medicine, but you're going to be in a profession geared towards helping others. To get our scholarship, you also need to have a background in community service. And because my daughter was a dancer, we wanted one year in dance as well. The second bucket is a dance scholarship because my daughter was a dancer. And those kids also, to get it, needed to have a background in community service. The third bucket, which was really unique, you just don't see other scholarship programs like this, is for what we call our kids of all abilities. And it was kids with special needs who may not go on to a traditional four-year education, but they're going to go on to a post-high school education. 
Those families are often left destitute because of the cost of care. We wanted to make sure we were providing some kind of a scholarship for those kids as well. So that was the scholarship program that we set up. Now, Orange Ribbons for Jamie also educates on uh, factors and issues related to why Jamie's life was cut short. So it does, you know, through the foundation, I do educate on issues around gun violence and gun safety. Um, but for the purposes of advocacy and political, um, I also set up our driven's for gun safety. And that, you know, is how I go about doing the political and advocacy work. The reality is um, my daughter didn't need to die. It was a completely preventable shooting. It happens too often in this country. We see people dying in random street violence. We see people dying because of suicides. And we see too many instances now of these mass shootings, whether it be in schools like my daughter or places of worship or, you know, Walmart, um, or now even on the highway. You know, you drive on the highway now. I mean, look what happened in Odessa, Texas. You know, as a country, this is something that we can do something about. You know, you'll never stop it completely. But wow, we can do a lot to lessen it. And and if anybody wants to know why my remainder of this year is going to be dedicated to electing Joe Biden president and flipping the Senate, because if we do that, gun safety will be done in this country. It will get done. We already have the House. We're not going to lose the House. This is something we can get done. And the time is near. And, and I don't intend to fail. I don't get my daughter back. But I will stand after this next election knowing there will be other parents who won't be like me because of the work we did. You can follow Fred Guttenberg at Fred underscore Guttenberg. That's two T's. Um, Fred, thank you again for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And thank you for everything you do. It's really fantastic. You're an American patriot. Um, thank you for everything you do. Thank you. Take care my friend. I'd like to thank Fred Guttenberg for taking the time today. Thanks to our producer, Grant Stern. You can follow him at Grant Stern. For our books on presidential candidates, you can visit meetthecandidates2020.com. Our website is dworkinreport.com. Thanks again for listening. Everyone, stay safe. Stay home. Stay home. Stay home. Onward!